Hello, I am Dan Jones. I am the rector of St. Michael's Church in Colony, New York. And you are someone listening to this quiet talk. I'm glad you're listening. I grew up believing, as many of you, that the book of Revelation is primarily about the last few years of human history before the second coming of Christ. It had very little relevance for those to whom it was originally written. Over the years, I have come to see the book differently. Now, before I go on, or before you turn this off, let me say that no matter what your take is on the book of Revelation, this talk today will be an encouragement to you. Whatever your view, there are obviously certain broad themes that shine out in this unusual apocalyptic writing. I'm going to highlight one of those themes. First of all, let me say something that I think all Bible-believing Christians can agree on, and that is that the last book of the Bible, as strange as it seems to us today, is not primarily about the mark of the beast or the scorpions with face like a man, hair like a woman, and teeth like a lion. The theme of Revelation is in those first words from John's pen, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is revealed in glory and majesty in chapter 1, where John sees him, his eyes like a flame of fire, and his face shining like the sun. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, whose word is like a sharp two-edged sword that comes from his mouth to strike all the nations of this world. It is this revelation that God gave John so that he might show it to his servants, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This wonderful unveiling of the King of Kings was given to his church. Never forget that the church belongs to Jesus Christ, who purchased it with his own precious blood. It was given to them in a time of intense persecution, persecution that was not a surprise given the many warnings from the lips of Jesus himself. John addresses this vision to seven churches in Asia Minor, the area that is modern-day Turkey. They were real cities with real churches that the author was acquainted with. He tells them in the first verse that God gave him this vision to show his servants things that were soon to take place. Remember that this was written just at the end of the first century of the Christian era, over 1,900 years ago. This persecution, of course, was coming from the mighty Roman Empire, the mightiest that had ever existed on the earth. Now, while it's safe to say that our American freedoms have been eroded since the founding of the United States, I don't think we have any idea what it was like to live under an oppressive regime such as the one centered in Rome. If there was an uprising in a certain province of the empire, the mighty Roman army would come in and violently squelch it. And then for good measure, they would line the streets with crosses 
on which were impaled random citizens of the offending province. This was just to remind Rome's subjects, Rome's subjects who was boss. They were brutal. So whatever your view of the book of Revelation, it's pretty obvious that it's filled with veiled references to Rome. The people of that day would have had no problem getting this. Of course, one of the reasons for the coded language was to prevent outsiders from understanding just how subversive this book was. Remember that in the ancient world, letters and books were always read aloud. You never knew who might be listening. So it was this persecuted church who were the first to read this strange book back in the late first century. In ancient Rome, there were many gods. Rome didn't mind which gods you worshipped or how many. That is, as long as you acknowledged the supremacy of the emperor in Rome. Beginning after the death of Julius Caesar in 44 B.C., Temples were erected to the emperor. Temples to Caesar Augustus, the Caesar of the Christmas story, were erected while he was still alive. A test of loyalty was to require subjects to offer incense to the emperor and declare, Caesar is Lord. Christians refused to do this. For them, there was only one Lord, Jesus Christ So they were viewed as disloyal to the great and wonderful empire and became the objects of brutal persecution. Let's look now at some of the images from this book and how they picture the struggle of good against evil, the forces of Satan against the church of Jesus Christ. In chapter 13, John sees a beast rising out of the sea. This beast had seven heads and ten horns. I remember as a child seeing drawings of these visions. Right away when I read this, because of the way my mind works, I'm bothered by the lack of symmetry here. If you've got seven heads, you need 14 horns. Otherwise, there will will be three heads that, that get two horns and four heads with only one. But the point is not to draw pictures. The point is the symbolism. Now, you may be disappointed that I'm not going to discuss the symbolism of these particular numbers, but just let me point out that in this vision, in Revelation, numbers are indeed symbolic. But I will say that the sea, in the thinking of these ancient Near Eastern people, was a picture of chaos where evil reigned. You may remember some of the imagery in the Old Testament, especially the book of Job, about sea monsters. Leviathan was an especially scary one, one that you did not want to tangle with. One thing is absolutely clear in this passage from chapter 13. In verse 2, it says that the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority to the beast. In case you don't know who the dragon is, Chapter 20 will tell us explicitly that the dragon is that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. Ancient serpent is an obvious reference to the story of the fall in Genesis 3. So let's cut to the chase and point out that behind the evil rulers of this world is a wicked power, an invisible power, 
that same individual that Jesus Christ confronted from the outset of his earthly ministry, Satan. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. Paul talked about rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. There are many invisible evil powers that affect what happens in this world, and at their head is the one we call the devil and Satan. His influence did not end with the fall of the Roman Empire. He's still active. His doom was settled on the cross, but the curtain is still yet to fall on his evil career. He is still wreaking havoc in this world, as we can see every day. I started to call this talk, Every Dog Has His Day, but I figured if I mentioned the book of Revelation in the title, more people would listen. But this book that is so hard to understand definitely describes some of the awful features of this dog, Satan, having his day. In chapter 2, the church in Smyrna is told, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I don't know about the actual significance of ten days, whether or not that time period is to be taken Literally, I doubt that it is, but the point is that they were about to face a period of time in which Satan would persecute them, but God set a limit on that time. In chapter 11, we read about two witnesses, God's witnesses, who for a time are able to prophesy against the evil kingdom of darkness, but then are finally killed. When they are killed, the people they were prophesying against have a party and celebrate and even give presents to each other. They have their day when they think they've won. The bodies of God's two prophets lie dead in the street, but their day doesn't last. The two prophets are resurrected and caught up to heaven. I don't have time to give more examples. My point is that there is a time in which it looks like evil has triumphed. There is a time in which the church of Jesus Christ is on the run, sometimes hiding, persecuted. It's not a fun time for God's people. But the book of Revelation was written to remind God's people of all ages from then till now that although every dog has his day, that day will come to an end. In chapter 6, John sees the souls of those in heaven who had been killed for their testimony. They cry out to God and ask when he will finally avenge their blood on those who killed them. God tells them to rest a little longer. That time of final judgment is not yet, but it will certainly come. Throughout God's word, we hear the cry of his people, How long, O Lord, how long until you put down evil and until righteousness reigns supreme? At the very end of chapter 22 of Revelation, we read the last thing Jesus Christ said to us, 
surely I am coming soon. And John replies immediately, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. Today we say the same, come, Lord Jesus, come soon, come now. We are tired of seeing the devil have his way. We pray with all our hearts, thy kingdom come. The answer God gives is not always what we want to hear. He says, just wait a little longer. In chapter 14, there is an angelic proclamation of the eventual doom of evil. And at the end of this proclamation, it says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Today, God is calling for our endurance. Keep the commandments of God and your faith in Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who promised, I will come again and reign victorious forever. The one who died for you and rose again is the one who made this promise. Satan may be having his day, but his days are numbered, and he knows it. He has come down to earth with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. But the time of Christ's kingdom will not be short. He shall reign forever and ever. I love the literal translation of forever in the New Testament. It literally says that he will reign unto the ages of the ages. His kingdom will have no end. We will be there to enjoy the reign of Jesus Christ after he has destroyed every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We pray, O oh Jesus, that your coming will be soon. And we pray until that day comes that you will give us the strength, the patience, and the power to endure until we see the sun rising of the glorious and eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friend, if you'd like to contact me, my email address is father.danjones at outlook.com. God bless you.